welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Today we're carrying on our sermon series, Are We There Yet? And we're looking at the word witness from Acts chapter 1 verse 8, where Jesus says, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in the 21st century and the power of the church gathered and how that's going to change the world for Jesus. So uh, here we go. Get ready. We're going to be witnesses. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) Just like that. I'm not singing, guys. Don't worry. No singing here. Do you know what? I was sitting back there and I was just thinking, you know, I don't know if you felt this, but the last couple of weeks, it just feels like we're, we're going somewhere, right? Like something's building, right? It's pretty good, right? So this is really weird and, and, and I'm not really prone to, <laughs> no worries, Pastor. I'm not really prone to this kind of stuff. I'm, I don't really do this kind of stuff ever, but I was at the back and I know we've heard stories of people doing this and, and I'm like, no, that's crazy. But uh, I really felt the Lord say, take your shoes off. So I'm going to be strange and do that. And I'm going to put them somewhere just over here so you can see my ugly feet. Don't look at my socks. My socks bunch. My wife hates it. They do match. Praise the Lord. I'm going to talk to you today about witnessing. About witnessing. And that, that's, going to be, that's going to come into play later. I didn't even think about it, but it will. I want you to understand the importance of gathering together as the people of God. This is holy ground. This is a holy place. And it's not the building. It's not going to be the high school. It's not even going to be 1,200 commissioners. It's where the people of God gather. Wherever it is, we could be in a field right now, and it would be holy ground because God is here. God himself, the God of heaven and earth, is here with us. Can you feel him? God himself is here. When we gather, two or three, there he is in our midst. And there's a people out there. There's a broken, a hurting world that needs to encounter God. Where can they find God? Here. When the people of God gather. The government of God is in session this morning. God himself is present. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. And if there's a people out there who are hurting and broken, saying, where is, my, where is your God? Here he is. So Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. And we got to get really good at saying, you know what? We've gone. Now you get to come. 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 Follow me, Jesus said constantly. We're going to show you that. But we're going to carry on in this Are We There Yet sermon series. Um, little interlude last week, and it was a, I thought it was a pretty powerful time. I, I thought it was, wow, I was really touched. Um, but when you're talking about where are we there yet, are we there yet, as Pastor Carl said the first couple of weeks, you got to know where there is. And we kind of touched on that a few times today already, but Habakkuk 2.14, this is where we're going. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We are going there. I don't care what you see in the world. I don't care what you've heard, what you've been taught, what you've read, what you've listened to. This is our destination. It is not going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to get better and better and better. That is the Bible. It is the Bible. We got to rightly divide that thing. You got to rightly divide the word of truth. And the, 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 the impulse, the push, the intention of God from the beginning of time, this is why it's called the eternal purpose, is he wants to flood the earth, the heavens and the earth, with his glory, the knowledge of his glory. And it's not going to happen like in a, in a corner somewhere. It's not going to happen somewhere where it's like, oh, that just happened. No, everybody, look, Isaiah 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. All flesh, not just in the church, but everywhere. 
And this kind of knowing, it's not just a, oh, I know that. It's a, it's a, I've been touched by it. I've been impacted by it. I have been intimately engaged by the knowledge of the glory. The glory of God has touched me in an intimate way and changed my life. That's the kind of thing that's in store for us. And this is going to be accomplished through us. Isn't that crazy? Through the partnership of the Holy Spirit and the church, we are going to see this. Ephesians chapter 3, 9 to 10, it says, he wants to make plain to everyone the administration of the mystery. Now, that's pretty cool. The mystery being made plain is pretty cool. The mystery, you can read about it in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, you can read about it. The mystery is that God wants to fill the earth, and who and how is he going to do it through? How's that going to happen? Us. That's the mystery. The mystery has been revealed, but also the administration of the mystery. So sometimes when you hear somebody talk about the church and you hear about God's plans for you and for us together, he wants to make plain the administration of it, not just the mystery that's Christ in us, the hope of glory, but how that's going to happen as well. And that is us. God, this has been kept hidden uh, for ages past in God who created all things. But his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be known not just, get this, not just to our neighbors, but to everything that's ever been created in heaven and earth. We have an eternal purpose. We are going to be his witnesses on earth and in the age to come forever and ever to every created being. We are going to be revealing and making known the glory of God, the unknowable God. Paul said he's the, he dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen him. So this awesome, mighty God had to condescend and find a way to express himself through a vessel, through a people, through, through a, a group of people in a way that he could actually be seen and understood because he's so far past finding out. So what he said is, I'm going to make this group of people and I'm going to give them everything that I am, everything that I have, and I'm going to lift them up to the very same level that I am. And you know what? We didn't, you know, I don't think we had to fall as a, as, a, as a human race. I don't think sin had to touch us, but it did. And Jesus has lifted us back up, not to where we were, but to something so much better. And now we get to engage life with that calling and that purpose. We're reconnected to what God had in mind from the very beginning. We get to be his witnesses. His eternal purpose is this to bring forth through a relationship of union with himself, a church, or with this church, an expression of himself that everybody can see and feel and understand by and through grace. We're made to be trophies of his grace. We're made to be expressions of who God is and the goodness of God, and our lives are meant to demonstrate that to to a hurt and a broken world around us. But God is so good that even when everything is perfect and everything has been perfectly put back together and restoration has happened, we're still going to be showing each other the glory and the awesomeness of God. Forever, for time, forever and ever and ever, we're going to be revealing God to each other. That's our eternal purpose. That's our eternal calling. So Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is why. You're going to be, be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we're called to be his witnesses. So the question that I have and that I would ask you today is, what does that look like in the 21st century? What does it look like to be witnesses in a post-COVID era? The world's not the same as it was. It's not the same as it was two years ago. I don't think the world is the same as it was like five days ago. Things have changed. Lots of things have changed. Culture has changed. Things are different. We don't live in a Christian culture. I I, I really don't think we do. 
the majority of people are not believers. We don't have a collective heritage where we can say, you know what, we all went to Sunday school and we all learned this lesson and that lesson and, and we all share a common kind of Bible language. Like, that's just not a thing anymore. So in that context, how do we, how do we share Jesus with people? And that's what I kind of want to help out with you, with you guys today a little bit, is just a few thoughts. Because we're in those days, I really think, in Judges chapter 21, 25, it talks about um, in those days there was no king in Israel, so everybody just did as they pleased. I mean, there's, there's not really a, a central authority. There's not a grand meta-narrative that everybody buys into. You've probably heard people say, you know, this is my truth, this is my truth. Well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. And everything, everybody has a truth, and oftentimes they're totally in conflict with each other. But somehow we still all function together and agree on things. It's kind of bizarre. But everybody's got their own truth. So, it, you know, you could think, wow, that's crazy. How do we ever, how do we talk to that culture? How do we exist in that culture? But I think it's actually a really amazing opportunity. I think it's like the, the marketplace of ideas. Whichever one works the best is going to flourish. And I don't know if you know this, but we don't have a self-help program. We've actually got the very life of God inside of us. Our lives should manifest this works. I mean, if this doesn't work, I don't know what else will. The spirit of God inside of us. That's why we do, don't do self-help and stuff like that, because the world actually does self-help better than the church, because the church always messes it up and does a cheap version. But we don't do that. We do the Spirit of God on the inside of you changes your life. Yeah. One-step program and boom. People want to hear something. They want to see something new. And oftentimes, it's not from the experts anymore. You know, it used to be back in the day where somebody would say something and you could believe it and you could say, okay, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I, I'm going to accept it because I've seen it on TV. Uh, they got letters behind their name. I learned it in Sunday school. My teacher told me, my parents told me. Now people don't care about that stuff. They really don't because they got their own truth and, and that, that's not wrong. But what people do want to hear is they want to hear your story. They want to hear how is, how's this Jesus that you talked about, how has he impacted your life? And uh, that's what the original witnessing was all about. Look at this in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, our hands handled it concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. We're telling you what we've seen and heard. That's what the world wants to see. How has Jesus touched your life? Who's ever been healed by Jesus? Who's had your soul saved by Jesus? Who's ever been encouraged by Jesus? Who's ever received strength and hope and peace and victory in your life by Jesus? I mean, guys, we, we are advantaged. We got something that we can't take for granted. We got to celebrate it. We got to share it. And we got to know, you know what? That same Jesus that did that for me, he can do that for you. And you know what? People actually want that. You got to know it. You got to believe it. You got to think, you know, uh, they're not the enemy out there who are opposed to Christianity. We can't, we can't embrace this narrative that says culture is our enemy. We got we to gotta see that, you know what, these people were actually made for him. All things were made for him, by him, for him. Everything finds its meaning and its purpose in Jesus, and everybody wants Jesus. They just don't know it. There's misplaced worship. There's misplaced love. There's misplaced affection. But you know what? Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. And if you've found fulfillment in your own soul by Jesus, I tell you what, you've got life answers for somebody else. You really do. We got to know that. We got to trust it. Now watch this in verse 4. He says, these things I write to you so that your joy may be full. How good is that? He's not out there trying to create converts. 
He's not out there trying to get notches on his belt of people that he's saved. He's saying, I want to tell you what Jesus did for me because I genuinely care about you, and I want you to have joy. I want you to have the same peace and joy that I have. Isn't that great? Because too often, and this might be a little hypocritical, but too often I think witnessing has been about telling other people what to do, what to say, what to think, what to believe. And honestly, people know when they're being treated as a project. They really do. And they also know when your story that you're telling them is not authentic to you, when it's disconnected to the real you. You're just kind of parroting the, the company line. Come believe in Jesus. But I tell you what, if you can connect with that spot where he's really touched you and you can share out of that, I mean, that's fantastic. You might think, you know, he didn't heal me of cancer, but did he encourage you? Come on. He's touched your life. He's blessed you. So oftentimes, people, people can tell. They don't want to be treated like projects. People don't want an inauthentic story. And when we do that, it kind of turns people off. And unfortunately, there's so many people out there who've been turned off by religion that uh, the, the nuns, which when they look at the, uh, you know, try to survey religious landscape of, of, of society, so the N-O-N-E-S, not the nuns, the nuns are actually the fastest growing religious category, across, get this, across all demographics, not just young people. It's not just young people who are saying, I don't want the church. It's across every demographic. So even, even older people are like, no, I'm checking out of that. I don't want that anymore. So what, what we're finding is people are becoming spiritual. You know, I, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Or maybe you've heard people say things like, I'm finding my spirituality. Well, you know, great ideas. You're a spiritual creation. It's just, let's find that life in Jesus, you know? And what's actually happening is people are connecting to this thing called transcendence. They're connecting to an idea and a thought that's bigger than themselves. I mean, we've, we've got the creator of heaven and earth on the inside of us. Oh my goodness, we've got the biggest thing that you can plug into. And he actually wants to plug himself into you. Wow. So here's the challenge that we face, I think. When Jesus says, be my witnesses, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we live in, like I said, a totally different world. So when he said, be my witnesses, I think there's an obligation on us to kind of tailor our approach to actually meet people in our day where they are. We got to learn the lingo. That means we have to be willing to accept methods and a philosophy and ways of doing and witnessing to people that might be a little bit different. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I got saved, I was like, everybody in the world has to be saved. And I, I got crazy. Like, I, I went nuts. I made my own little tracks. I printed them as neatly as I possibly could. I went to the public library in Chester over in the UK, and I printed off a whole bunch of ver these tracks. I cut them up. I hand cut them. And I went out, and I just started giving them to people, everybody I could find. And I said, you need to know Jesus. Do you know how many people I got saved out of probably, the, like, the thousands that I actually talked to over the course of two years? Like, three. Those three matter. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Absolutely. But I was obnoxious. I was obtuse. I think a lot of people probably thought, yeah, they're one of those Christian crazies again. Get out of here. I just walk up to a random stranger and just be like, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Here's a little track that I made in my basement. I'd like to give it to you. <laughs> I did. I, I was nuts. I, uh, I actually found myself one time in, with a group of people where, believe it or not, if you know me, this is crazy, but I was standing on the streets of Chester, busy, busy, busy city, and uh, like no cars allowed downtown, it's all just foot traffic, and it's all full, it's packed, like wall to wall. I was out there doing drama sketches. Can you believe that? <laughs> Trying to help people come to Jesus. I mean, 
Nothing says come to Jesus like awkward and weird, right? I don't do drama. Oh, no way. Oh, we had, we had everything. We had uh, all these colored napkins and weird stuff, and uh, there was an easel involved, and I don't know. It was awkward. It was so bad. People would, like, see me and just start walking the other direction, but praise God. <laughs> There's probably a better way. Now, if you're into that kind of thing and you're good at it, and that's what you've kind of been called to do, go for it. But that's not me. I, I don't know if you've ever seen me in kids' church. It's also not cool. <laughs> Helped Kelly do the, uh, the kids' night out one time, and oh my goodness, it's almost as bad as puppies. It was crazy. I went home and I was like, that's nuts. God bless all the kids and all the kids' workers. And those of you who want to be kids' workers should be feeling that right now. You know, if you're feeling that stir in your heart right now, you can volunteer. Just saying. But we gotta, we got to tailor our message to people. we got to find a way. You know, when it comes to communication, it's actually the person who's being communicated to that has the power in that instance. And I want to show you something here. Jesus, God himself, had a, a failed communication approach. And it wasn't because he was a failure. It was because he just wasn't getting through. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So there was a time when God was trying to communicate in a particular way. But it didn't work. And it wasn't because God was deficient. It was because the people that were listening weren't able to see, weren't able to, see, to hear. So he changed his method. But in these last days, he's doing it differently. He's spoken to us by his son. God wanted to speak clearly. So get this. And I think this is, there's a lot of wisdom in this for us in our times. He became the message. The word became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. And what was the result? John 1.14 says, we have seen his glory. All of a sudden, what was veiled coming through the lens of the prophets and the law and the, the tablets of stones and the scrolls was now visible and plainly seen when the message became embodied in a person called Jesus Christ. And by his spirit, we too get to embody that same message and we get to be witnesses, not just have a message. There's so much evidence out there saying, you know what, if we don't do this, if we don't catch up, you know, our friends, our neighbors, our family members, the people we go to work with, the people that we live with, they're not going to hear unless we make a couple radical adjustments in our approach to witnessing. Because I don't know about you, I mean, you could go get like, I don't know, 0.003% success rate like I did, or you can actually just genuinely love people. And I, I think that works better. There's a better way to communicate. Now, this is from uh, Reviving Evangelism in the Next Generation. It was a report, uh, a survey actually put out by Barna in a partnership with Alpha Canada. And here, this is, this is a Canadian study. This is a Canadian study done in the last year or so, and it's actually got some pretty profound insights when it comes to communicating, you know, the Jesus that we've all had an experience with this morning. Right? So, I mean, I don't know if you've been blessed today, but come on, there's people that need that. So we've got to find a way to talk to them. We've got to find a way to communicate with people better. Listen to this. Um, half of Gen Z, so half of young people out there saying, letting your actions speak rather than using words to explain, explain your faith is an act of evangelism. There's over half of the people out there in this upcoming generation that are not going to pay attention to you unless there's obvious signs that your life backs up what you're saying. And they're not looking at the religious versus hypocrite divide. They're actually saying, is this working for you? They're not looking at you saying, I want to judge you and I can't wait to see you slip up. Are, do you really live the rules that you're espousing? No, they want to see that it works. This generation is one about utility. Does this work for you? Because I'm looking for something that works for me. So show me. Show me the money. Show me how it works. 
Communication, it's got to be relational and not propositional. Four and five, so eight and ten. Seventy-nine percent agree that having a conversation about faith is most effective when you already have established a significant relationship with that person. Relationship, that's what it's all about. I mean, again, if you feel the need to go talk to the stranger and make a neater track than I did, go for it. But uh, this thing happens in relationship. Why? Because relationship is actually part of the message. The message is relationship. So it makes sense that it's communicated through relationship. It's a process, not an event. Faith sharing is more than a one-time an event for Canadian teens. Spiritual conversations typically involve some sort of follow-up. Again, it's not a one and done, here you go, here's my tract, I'm really working up the courage, now I'm going to run away. It's not even a let me invite you to a big event and never talk to you again. It's not let me expose you to the sinner's prayer and then I'm just going to walk away. No, it's a, it's a process, it's a relational process, and that ties into this, it's about a conversation, it's not about conversion. Now, obviously, I, I, I do want to see people converted. I want people everywhere to change their minds, to repent. But what I want them to change their minds about is the goodness of God. I don't want to leave people feeling awful and terrible. I want them leaving, seeing how good and awesome my God is and how gracious and kind He is to me. Change their mind and say, I don't need to fear this person. I actually want to have a relationship with this person. He's not a big meanie in heaven trying to pick up all, all my faults. He loves me and he wants to bless me and throw good things into my life. That's the mindset I want to see changed in people. And that happens in a conversation, not a conversion. A lot of people feel the best outcome of a spiritual conversation would be to better understand one another. Now, it, it goes on to say that they believe it's actually wrong to share your faith with the hope that they'll sometimes share the same faith as you. I, I don't think I go that far. I obviously want people to know and experience the goodness of God the way that I do. I do want people to be converted. I want people to repent and change their mind about God. But it's not because there's anything wrong with them. It's the mindset that says this God is freaky and scary and religious. I want them to change how they think. I want the conversion to be, oh my goodness, I'm opening my heart to this God who already accepts me, rather than what we typically think about conversion, the horrible, awful person that you are, you need to change it to become something else. God wants you to know that he loves you and he accepts you just as you are. And this changing context that we live in, it obviously requires changing methods, particularly with younger people. We got to be relational. We got to live out our faith in front of people. We got to move away from an event-based Christianity to one where we're actually sharing conversations with people because we love them, not just because we want to see them converted. And that means we got to go and see people differently. We got to see people with a different lens. I don't know if you can see this. This makes a lot of sense to you, but that's where we're going. That's the building. This is a, a little, I got this off Google somewhere. But look at all this gray stuff. That's all roads and streets and neighborhoods and people. So what do you see when you see that? I, I see comfortable seating. <laughs> I see a nice new building. But look at all the people. Look at the people. I love in John chapter 1 in the Message Bible, he's talked about the word becoming flesh and he's moved into the neighborhood. We're moving into a neighborhood, guys. So what do you see? When Jesus looked at the culture of his day, he didn't condemn it. He didn't see it as something worthy of judgment, but something worthy of saving. Look at that. Look at the people. Matthew chapter 9. Oh, sweet. Whopper Wednesdays. Whopper, if you need me on a Wednesday at lunch, that's where I'll be. 
Listen to this, Matthew chapter 9. This is the Message Bible. It says, Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and the villages. He taught in their meeting places. He reported kingdom news. He healed their diseased bodies. He healed their bruised and hurt lives. And when he looked out over the crowds, it says his heart broke. Yeah. yeah. Confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. Does that describe what you see? That's what I see right now. No shepherd. And this is what Jesus has said. He said, wow, guys, what a huge harvest. How few the workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. I don't know if you know this, but 2,000 years later, we're the answer to that prayer. Do you know that? We're the answer to that prayer. Harvest hands. That's you and me. When Jesus looked at his culture, he saw a giant harvest field because he knew he could be their shepherd by embracing them with his love. He knew he was the solution to their problems. Do you know that Jesus is the solution to your problems? Do you know that he's the solution to their problems? He saw their behaviors, their misplaced beliefs, their misplaced love, their misguided worship. And you know what he said to them? Come to me. Come. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so, so, so important. This is where people will find Jesus. I mean, Jesus, back in the day, he had a physical body. He was walking around. I mean, he still does, but he was physically present on the earth, and people were able to come to that physical person. That same Jesus is now present here. This is that holy ground. When we say come, we're saying come. Come be part of us. Come be part of what we're doing. Come find a place where you belong. Jesus said, come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. If anyone's thirsty, let him come. Let him who thirsts come. See, in the Garden of Eden, when humanity fell, the message was you got to get out for a little while. You got to go. Oftentimes, you're going to find in the, in the law, you're going to see Moses saying things like, get out, touch not the unclean thing, separate, distinction. But with Jesus, you're going to hear him say, come. 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 When Jesus met people, his first priority, if he can hear this, it wasn't to get people to believe in him or even do what he said. That's a tough one. He said, come. Jesus said, go into all the world. And ge geographically, guys, we have. I mean, we're evidence the fact that they went all over the world. We, we're <laughs> going to all the world. Go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And we have. We have. They did. We've gone. We're literally, Christians are saturated throughout all the world. When you think about a, a Monday morning, think about all the people that are meeting in churches right now, and then think about, you know, like 24 hours later, we've been gathered, and now we're scattered literally in every nook and cranny all over society. We have gone, but here's the thing. Once you go, he said, preach. And once you go, he said, be a witness. And in order to do that, we have to be comfortable with Jesus' methods of ministry and his message, which again is come. Before it's even believe in me, it's come to me. See, revelation and understanding, the saving faith that we need, that, that, this might sound a little controversial, but oftentimes in the Bible, that happened after relationship with Jesus. The disciples had no idea who he was. They had no clue. It actually took a while. I think it's not even until like halfway through Matthew where they, they have, Peter has that revelation. And even then, even after they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, they still struggle to see that this Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the whole world, not just the Jews. 
it's halfway through the book of Acts before they finally realize, wow, maybe he's the savior of everybody. I mean, if you were to come today and say Jesus isn't the savior of anybody, only this particular race, we would say that's crazy and evil. But that's the functioning revelation of the leaders of the global church for the first like decade or so that the church existed. But we want to say, you know, you can't come to Jesus until you understand this theory of the atonement or something like that. And Jesus is saying, come with me, and the revelation and the hearing that you need is going to be worked out in our relationship and in our partnership together. So revelation, understanding, it comes as a byproduct of following Jesus and coming with him. Sometimes people have those moments of revelation where it's just like, bang, I see it. Other times people come to faith because they bump shoulders with Jesus in the congregation of the saints. They've done groups with them. They've come to church on a Sunday. They've encountered the people of God, the family of God, and all of a sudden they find themselves, wow, I think I believe in him. I think, do you know, I've seen that so many times. I think I'm a believer. I don't even believe in God. Three months after hanging out with the church of God, he loves me. Hold on a second. Who's this he that I'm speaking of? That kind of thing happens, guys. Here's the thing about witnessing as well. We we can't labor under this false assumption that sin is an issue. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nineteen says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Wow. So the problem out there is not sin. It's not dirty, rotten sinners who for some reason God can't look upon be with. I mean, holy God became flesh and dwelt amongst sinners. I mean, that should forever dispel the notion that a holy God can't look on sin. He moved into the neighborhood with sin. He ate with sin. He drank with sin. Come on. He's not holding people's sins against them. If our message is your sins and behaviors, your bad ideas and your bad beliefs have separated you from God, we've got the wrong message. Because the message is Jesus has overcome all of that and reconciled you to God. Not only that, but God was in Christ doing that. God's not looking at you through this veil of Jesus and being like, thank God my son is standing there because I can't stand to look at you. That's not what God does. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus didn't save us from an angry father. Come on, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's not holding people's sins against us. You've got to see this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. I was talking to Jen about this the other day and I brought up Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where it says that you're accepted in the beloved. You've been accepted in the beloved, not accepted in your good ideas, your good beliefs, your good behavior, or anything like that. You have become accepted in the beloved. See, we can witness to the world about the finished work of the cross by treating one another in the love that that cross demonstrated. The world will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And we can show the world the power of that cross by treating them as if it actually applied to them, actually believing that it did. And I'm not, somebody's worried right now, I'm not jumping into universalism, I'm not that far. I'm not saying that sound doctrine doesn't matter, that what you believe doesn't matter, but here's the thing, guys. Our message is a person. Truth is a person. And if we demand right doctrine, if we demand everybody, you know, aligns with my behavior, my beliefs, and everything else before we say, come, you're welcome and belong, we're going to deny people with an encounter with the person who is himself truth embodied. And if we're going to say, you can't come into the house of God until you've got this stuff sorted out, we're going to deny people an opportunity to encounter the pillar and ground of truth, which is the church. We embody truth. 
Jesus is the truth, and him in his people is an embodiment of truth. So come on, you bump shoulders with him and believe that he actually can teach people. 1 John 2.27 says, But there is an anointing which you've received from him which abides in you, and you do not need that anyone should teach you. But as that same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and it's true, is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. Yeah. G- uh, Jesus said in John, he said, Whoever's taught by God comes to me. No man can come to me unless it's drawn by the Father. Come on, people can hear from God themselves. God is speaking. And we got to trust that you get to be part of us. You get to be part of the community. You get to come. And that same Holy Spirit that teaches us and guides us and leads us to Christ is the same Spirit that's active in their lives. If He can do it for us, He can do it for them. Come on, where's our faith and our trust? Is it in us or is it in the Spirit of God? It is the Spirit of God. We've got to teach and preach Jesus, the finished work. Let Him be our message because this is it. Faith, you do need faith to be saved, but faith is not something you work up. Faith is something that happens to you when you're hearing the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Romans chapter 10. We're not even saying to people, believe in Jesus. We're saying Jesus loves you. He died for you and you're included in Him. Full stop, period. Do you know know what saving faith does? Saving faith rises up in your heart when you hear that. The moment I say you got to believe this, all of a sudden you're thinking, well, did I, did I really believe? Did I believe hard enough? Do I believe that right? No, we just get to tell people about a God who loves them and who saved them, who took on their sins in his own body and has raised them up with him. We don't have to worry that when we invite people into the church, we're going to lose our distinction. I don't know if you've ever heard people say, I've got a witness through my behavior. I'm going to lose my witness if I do something wrong. Well, here's the difference between us and the world. The Spirit of Jesus lives on the inside of us. Yeah. Isn't that what Moses said? How, how will we know that we're different? How will everybody know that we're different if you're not with us? Right. Don't take your presence away from me, David said. We got the Spirit of God. We got to trust it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 said, you're going to receive power in order to be my witnesses. Well, come on. We don't, we don't lose our distinction. We don't, it, you know, we're not in those Old Testament times where something unholy touches me. I become unholy. I am a possessor of the life of God. I bring the holiness of God everywhere I go. I bring the sanctifying power of God. I'm not scared if we let something in that that's a problem. Come on, Jesus and his love and his life and his power is bigger than that. You got to believe the power of Christ on the inside of you. You got to know that we're not diminished by our associations. Otherwise, Jesus would have been, and he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We got to not hold up belief systems, behavior guidelines as barriers to participation and inclusion in the house of God. This is what God's doing. Acts chapter 15 said, afterward, I'll return and I'll restore the fallen tent of David. I'll rebuild its ruins and restore it. Why? So that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. And the tabernacle of David was literally just four pegs with a sheet and the, I think the tabernacle was in there. But you know what? Where the, where the glory of God rests now? Us. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so vital. That's why witnessing, it really does come down to come. Invite. Invite people to church. Say, come. Come. You can encounter that same living God. And he's doing it. He's creating an atmosphere. He has through the, the veil of his flesh. He's created the opportunity that anybody can come. Anybody gets to come and experience the glory. So we got to not make witnessing weird. We got to not make it strange. We got to get people to understand our language, dress in our clothes, learn our language, conform to our customs, look like us, talk like us. Let's not put up barriers to inclusion in God's people. The conclusion of this uh, 
counsel in Acts chapter 15 was we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So let's not make it difficult. Let's boil it down to come. There's a God who loves you and accepts you. This is really, I mean, what I presented today, it might be a a different way to think about witnessing. I mean, certainly it's totally 180 for me and what I did when I was younger with my, my tracks and everything, but... Here's, here's just a couple, couple things to summarize with, some things that I really want you to think about. When we want to witness this way, when we want to say, you know what, come to Jesus, come and have an encounter with him, just seven points real quick. You got to really be nailed down on Christ in you and you in Christ. You got to place a really big demand on God inside of you. He inside of you. He with you. That is what's going to change the world. That is literally what people are hungry for, and that's what's going to draw people, and that's what actually makes the distinction. People aren't looking that you have better principles to live by. They're looking, do you have a different power? Do you have a different life? I can get different principles. I can read a different book. I can do self-help differently. What's the actual difference? It's the Spirit of Jesus. Intentional gathering, when we get together, because this is so important, this is the place where people can find God, we got to come, we got to come. There's no place if people don't come. Where it's, I know it says two or three, but hey, maybe it should say 200 or 300. Or thousand, let's say 2,000, 3,000, come on, that's happened in Acts, right? So we got to come, and when we come, we got to bring it. Come, come, come ready to worship. Come ready to encounter God. Come to church and know on purpose, I'm coming to experience God today. I'm not coming to sit on a pew. I'm coming to serve. I'm coming to encounter God. I know that something's going to happen. Something is going to be different at the end of this hour and a half than it was before because God is in the house. When people come, we got to welcome people with intentionality and understand that this is their big day. They've made a really powerful life decision to come to church. That's weird. I'd ra- you know, sometimes you think you'd rather be in bed. People who don't have an experience with God already have made an incredible act of discipleship to actually come to church. We've got to honor that, recognize that, facilitate that, and make that as wonderful as we possibly can. We've got to be nailed down in the message. It's Jesus. That's it. Paul said, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing. Nothing else. Nothing. Just Jesus and him crucified. Well, what about the Romans, Paul? What about what they're doing to the people of God? What about this issue and that issue? What about infanticide? What about all this stuff? I resolve to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Did those issues not matter to Paul? Of course they did. But Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. Jesus can only change your heart. Only Jesus can transform your life. Only Jesus can put the axe to the root of the tree, like John the Baptist said. It's a team effort. I think I was talking last week, maybe uh, uh, somebody here, I think it might have been Jeff and Sarah, but we were talking about, you know, bringing people to, to church. I, uh, I want people that I know to come meet you guys. Seriously, you guys are cool. You guys are cool, and God lives inside of you, and when we get together, something powerful happens. And I'm so happy that I can say, come to church with me. I mean, I, I've gone places before where, actually, I, I, I don't know if I should say this online, but I've, I've left places because I haven't felt comfortable that this, I would want somebody that I got saved to come to that church. And that means this is a team effort. Together. Together we're working together. Together. It's not the Lone Ranger on the street or at the, on the platform or with the microphone. It's us together. It takes a community to reach a community. Because it's a, it's a conversation, we got to commit to the conversation, and that involves this ongoing process of output and feedback, and output and feedback, often with many different people. 
There's people that I know who are in this church who are saved because of their interaction with somebody and then somebody else and then somebody else. And it was a team effort. We're in this together, guys. And then finally, we got to think about recruiting. We got to think about what's next. Jesus said to, to Peter, I think it was, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? So people get saved and right away, what's next? How can I help? How can I serve? How can we help you serve? How can we help you get plugged in? How can we help you become the fisher of men that you got saved in order to be? And we can equip people, resource them, and put tools in their hands right away to help them to share the goodness of God that they've experienced. Because at the end of the day, it's not a theology degree that you need. It's just an experience. It's just an encounter with Jesus. It's all you need. So we got to recruit. Guys, this is it. This is the deal. John 17, 18. Jesus is praying, and he said, Father, as you sent me, I'm sending them. John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father sent me, also I send you. We've been sent. We're sent once. We got a message. We embody a message. And there's hopefully a few things here that you can think about and work with in order to, to consider how can we communicate to the people out there in a different way, in a way that's relevant to the times that we live in? Because you got to know the times. You got to know the seasons. You got to know what you got to do. It's very, very important. The world is not the same as it was. But I think if we consider some of these things, there's actually a really powerful way for a community to flow together and actually touch a community. This community can touch that community. And the seeds that are in this community are not just, you know, not just for this place. It's actually national. It's global. But it does start here. It starts at home, right? As he has been sent, so have we. Amen? Amen. All right, stand up with me, guys. So we talked a lot this morning about telling people about Jesus, but I just want to take a moment and ask if there's anybody in here who feels like they don't know Jesus and want to. And if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, it's really as simple as saying, I want that. It's really as simple as accepting the fact that he loves you and has already accepted you. We're not asking for a 16-point prayer or anything like that. We just want you to know that Jesus' invitation to you is come, follow me. Uh, If you're online today, if you're in the building, I'm just going to count to three and ask you to raise your hand if you want to say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to have a relationship with him. Right? Putting your hand up, put your hand up at home. It's just a way of saying, you know, I accept. It's just a way of saying, I believe. Ready? One, two, three. That's you. Just raise your hand. You know, guys, let's all, let's all pray. Pray with me. Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me, dying for me, saving me, and accepting me. I accept you. Thank you. Amen. It's that short, sweet, and simple, guys. Something amazing happens when you just open your your heart to Jesus. You'll find that his heart's been open to you all along. All right, let me pray for you real quick, too. Just about this witnessing. Honestly, guys, this is a really, really big deal. There is a harvest field. 
And I pray that right now, Father, every single person here under the sound of my voice who knows you, knows and feels the call of God on their lives to share you with people in their lives, in their spheres, and in their circle. I pray, Father, for the anointing of God, the, the powerful anointing of God that separates, that distinguishes, that teaches, that makes Jesus clear, plain, and visible, would just be tangibly felt by every person, and they would live feeling equipped by you, empowered by you to make a difference everywhere they go, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit, God, people would see Jesus in the lives of this community, dispersed and gathered, and you would do something powerful in our midst, God. I thank you so much for what you've done today. I thank you for what you're doing next week, not even because it's a new building, but because the saints gathered. And I pray, God, that things would be voiced abroad out of this community gathered that causes people to say, take me to your God. Take me to Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the beautiful future we have, for the destiny that we have, and for your faithfulness to see it through to completion in this family. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.